You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. What a wild, snowy day in Chicago. Can we talk about this weather for a second? It's beautiful. It's, it's very blustery. Yeah. it's. I feel like it's so quiet out there, though. So hopefully we won't have too many, too much outside noise this episode. It's like Ooh. a sound blanket over yes. the city. Um, I had to walk Neptune for his like afternoon poop walk in the mm-hmm. mists of the storm. Um, it was very quiet out on the roads, but v- like I said, very blustery. Uh, I wore my balaclava. It was <gasps> perfect. Um, as made by Grace's girlfriend, who's amazing. Um, but yeah, it was like my glasses were fogged. He was running. Everything underneath the snow is ice. It was a lot of fun out there. I had to wear my glasses this morning with my mask. Long story, but it's horrible. <laughs> How do you even... I felt like... I felt like I was in a dream, you know, when you like can't see quite clearly. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually really really hard, and you have to have a very specific mask, and it has to be very tight around the nose specifically and under the eyes. Yeah, that's what I've heard, but I didn't. I just had like a regular run of the mill mask made for everyone. She's um, obviously never con- been in my shoes. That's all I have no. to say. I wear contacts. Tyvm. <laughs> I'm just like everyone else. I put in my contacts one eye at a time. <laughs> You should get like one of those. You should get something where you can put them in at the same time. I've definitely taken them out at the same time. I'm quick, baby. Even. Try do something twice a day, every day. Well, I only take them out once a day. <laughs> but do something like that for, you know, since seventh grade. You get pretty quick at it. I, I, guess, need a I, mirror. Guess, I guess that makes sense. I, I recently got contacts just because, you know, I need them for like sport activities which trust me i don't ever do sport activities Um, her baseball team her club baseball team she joined exactly um co-ed club recreational baseball anyway um you got i gotta give myself at least 15 minutes an eye i'm not that's not a joke no i I believe that when i was when i was first learning how to put in contacts i would wake up early and like go for some reason go to like the half bath off the kitchen um and like you know, work on putting in my contacts and but. fumble through it. I know, and then, yeah. and then my eyes are watering, and I'm standing there blinking, trying to get them to like <laughs> adjust the right way. And I have very specific my contacts. It took a long time to get to the contacts that I have now. They're not perfect because of my astigmatism. It's like a whole thing. So, Anyways, and when I put the contacts so- <laughs> in, as I put the contacts in, the world becomes much closer. Does that happen for you? I feel like when I wear my glasses, the world is further away, and I can't see as well. So. I'm used. I think that's how the world is, actually, with contacts. It's not closer. Yeah. That's that's the true distance. That's the true, true distance. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's right. what the real world is like. <laughs> Anyways, I'm like, what are we even? T- Who <laughs> We're are recording. we? We're recording. We're recording. We are. Um, you're listening to Two Girls One Crossword, the podcast about glasses and snowstorms. I'm Grace yes. Topinka, and I'm Chelsea Rowan. Um, after your weekly weather updates, we do move into your favorite weekly podword crosscast, of course, where we talk about the week's crosswords and other stuff, I guess. There's other stuff here. We do a recap of the weather. So it's not a weather forecast. It's just if you wanted to know what the weather was like in Chicago a couple days ago, we got you covered. Speaking of the weather, I don't mean to keep us off track here, but... Mm. Doubtful. Do you ever watch TV shows where, like... It's about like a specific profession and then suddenly you're like wistful to be in that profession. 
I just started a TV show about meteorologists and I said, I'm sitting on the couch like, you know, I could be a meteorologist. I could do that. I'd be really good at that. And it's like, I actually probably would really hate it, but that's movie magic, baby. That's the whole point. I know, you felt that way about doctors. Well, that kind of reminds me of the (laughs) CSI topic that I did where it's like all these people saw CSI as being like sexy and cool and then it's not that way at all. Yeah, yeah. You're just like in a lab all day. I did go for a couple months. Supermodels thinking that I was uh, meant to be a surgeon. Someone who, yeah. I, I'm squeamish. I literally will pass out when I see blood. So, And do you got a steady hand? No, not at I've all. I've known I'm, that about you. I mean, you could have a steady hand. I wouldn't know. I'm quite clumsy. I just tried to paint polymer clay for the first time since like the second grade. It's a mess. It's a mess in here. Anyway, anyway. Let's get into our poll of Palooza from last yes. week. Yes, we had a good so, one this week. Yes, although I'm not really sure how to interpret this data. <laughs> we <laughs> polled our Twitter followers, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And you could choose between a rock, a paper, or scissors. Mm. Um, and 67% of people chose paper. Ooh. 20% chose scissors and 13% chose rock. Now, I don't know what to do with that data. Like, I can't tell you who won because it, it doesn't make sense that way. No, I feel like, should we send this data? to Tokyo where they're doing all of those research study things and be like, hey, just so you know. I well, I think what this does is tells us the likelihood of like our followers playing a certain first move. True, right? but did they, people listen to us and that's why they did paper? Because we said that's like the best one to start with because most people would choose rock. But according to this poll, the least amount of people chose rock. Mm. But I don't, I don't know if they necessarily listened to the episode or not. But remember last time we talked about how rock was uh, an amateur move, mm-hmm. especially for men. So does this mean we don't have we have more of like professional rock paper scissors players on our hands, not men? That's possible. There's no way to know who voted. There's literally no way to know. Not not that we know anyway. Um, I picked paper. Not gonna lie. I picked paper as well. Ooh. So what can you do? There you go. We are that, predictable. We are. And that is that is the poll for this week. Thank you, Grace, for yet again. Rock, paper, scissoring. Poll magic. Poll magic. <laughs> okay. Um, um, shall we move along to our... Moving into... Heights and shites. The heights and shites. I'm going to start with the shite. <gasps> okay. Tell okay. me if this is a legitimate shite, if I'm justified in feeling this. Uh, it comes from the Friday, February, February 11th, New Yorker by Patrick Berry. 24 down. Creamy green bowl full served with chips. Guacamole? You would think. Uh-huh. It is avocado dip. Oh. Um. Is avocado dip a thing? I feel or like Or is, is it just guacamole? I don't know what would differentiate the two. Maybe I I really don't know. So I Googled avocado dip recipes and they were all guacamole recipes on white people blogs and they said avocado dip. And I'm like, is that like people trying not to like culturally appropriate or something or like bastardize like a cultural recipe? Like what's what's I can't what's going on here? Are we so liberal that we're conservative now? Like that like the horseshoe effect? <laughs> it is kind of a yeah. It's a circle at some point. Um so I was just like, 
really? think avocado dip probably fit in the the grid. Know. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's, that's a relatively allowed shit. Speaking of like more woke shites. Well, sorry, sorry. Continue if you have more. No, no, no. Go. Oh, I do. But what do you have? We can stay no, on no, shit. No, no, you go, you go, you go. Okay, okay. So I do actually have two from that puzzle that were interesting that I liked. Uh, 34 across. Short, sharp, short, sharp saxophone sounds. And the answer was toots. I just <laughs> liked that that was the clue that they used to get toots in the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Very much enjoyed that. And then I learned something. I feel like I tried the last human on earth to learn this. You let me know. Um, 55 across board game that involves building a Rube Goldberg machine. The answer is mousetrap. So I had to look up what a Rube, Rube, R-U-B-E Goldberg machine was. Mm -hmm. And Matt was like, oh, it's a overly complicated machine that does a relatively simple task or sometimes doesn't do anything at all. Like, for instance, mousetrap, like this Mm -hmm. really extensive and like complicated thing just to like drop trap a mouse trap a mouse exactly um and from what i looked into it is named after a comic book not or like a comic artist from newspapers i think who had his characters using these kinds of like overly complicated machines to do seemingly simple tasks Uh, and so now it is called a rube goldberg machine and i was like okay also i don't think i ever played mousetrap from start to finish no we never played it we just always just put it together yeah yeah if you told me what the point of mousetrap was i'm assuming it's to trap a mouse but i I think it's like as you keep going you get more and more things to build ah okay Okay. i believe um i have heard that before but ah i needed a reminder there you go what it was what do you got i did the february 13th um Washington Post by Evan Bernholz, and I did have some hits, but this was kind of a shite. So I just wanted your nine down was culture, vultures, love. And the answer was arts. I know a culture vulture as like someone who appropriates black culture, like the Kardashians. Right. That's, yeah, that's my understanding. So, I mean, I assume it has a different meaning, too. But I was but, like, wait, what do you think they mean? Be? What do they think? What do you think he means? So the answer was arts, A R T S. Yeah. So it's someone who like likes culture, you know? Oh, like a Renaissance. What is the clue again? Man. Culture vultures love arts. Oh, yeah. No, my interpretation of that is that a culture vulture is like consuming as much art as possible because they love it, mm-hmm. as opposed to our understanding of that phrase being like the kardashians who appropriate appropriate culture for their personal gain yeah for instance uh if we're misunderstanding let us know i mean i'm sure it also means that it probably originally started like had that other meaning and then it's been changed okay um but i do have some hits from that puzzle 113 across tricky word question mark and it's ta-da ah um 127 down under vehicle question mark sub oh yes i did this puzzle i'm remembering now 102 across make out question mark tag Mm, that one took mm -hmm, me a little bit mm -hmm. that's good 93 across makeup of some big fingers i was like what the heck is this and it's foam 
Foam fingers. Yes. Very cute. Um, shout out to 85 Down, member of many an LGBT couple, Femme. I liked that too. Very nice. And then... Oh, no. So that was it for that puzzle. Okay. Uh, I'll move us into the Friday, February 11th, New York Times by Trenton Charlson. Um, I say it all the time, but I love the puzzles where they have like the full 15 across spanners because I'm mm-hmm. really interested to see what constructors come up with to have like interesting phrases or interesting like trivia that has like these long spanners across the puzzle, across the grid. Uh, and Trenton did well. For instance, one across the opener. Words to a skeptic, and the answer was ye of little faith. That was nice. Yes. Um, and, then, <laughs> uh, and then 17 across, subject of the so-called surgeon's photograph of 1934. Does that sound familiar to you? Because it rung such a bell oh, in my head. Is that I, Loch Ness Monster? Yes. Amazing. And the answer was Loch Ness Monster. It rung such a bell in my head, and I was like, I know this. We did a topic on this. Something about this. And then we filled it in. I was like, I'm an idiot. I should have known. Um, if you're interested in listening to the Loch Ness Monster topic, that's episode 56, Blue-Eyed Monster. We quote that one a lot because, for obvious reasons, it's a good one. comes up a lot. It does. Uh, go ahead. Did you do the New Yorker February 16th by Patrick Berry? I did. I love 21 Across, Disney Channel show of the 2000s about a teen with psychic abilities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a raven. I was hoping that was going to be like a theme and there were going to be other yeah. 2000s shows, but sadly there wasn't. But still. New Yorker never does themes, sadly, but. Then I should have known. Um, but fine. okay, Raven's best friend's name was Chelsea in the show. And that yeah. was, it gave me a superiority complex. And she put had it that way. red hair, too. And she had red hair, so do with that what you... And she was really weird, so I really identified <laughs> with her. <laughs> That's fair. Um, five down, boastful weaver of Greek myth, Arachne. I knew that yes. from when I... My, my topic on the Spider-Man um, musical. <laughs> which, which is episode 116. Okay. Which, which is more about Arachne than Spider-Man <laughs> for some reason. I put that on my hits, too, because I was like... I know this answer because of episode 116 where Grace talks about the Spider-Man Broadway flop. And I was like, this is so random how words collide. <laughs> and I feel like this is... These little hits and shits that we're doing with you and our topics, like the reason we're doing this whole podcast is so that when you're doing crosswords, you have these same aha moments that we're having. Like Grace was able to answer this and I was able to answer this specific one because she talked about it in like her Broadway flop episode mm-hmm. or the surgeon's photograph. We talked about it in the Loch Ness Monster episode. I love when our topics reappear in the crossword and you're just like, oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. I'm so smart. I'm so smart. Yeah. It's like, oh, I actually retained some information. <laughs> um, 28 across the L word character, Blank McCutcheon. I never even watched the L word, but I knew it was Shane. I, I have much, never seen the L word. I did not know that that was Shane. I feel like I feel like I should watch it at some point. Even like people it's say it's of... not good, but... I feel like it's kind of outdated. Yeah. No. Um, I Okay, 43 across. Item of headgear superstitiously worn inside out. It's a yeah. rally cap. And I looked what it up. That? and It's like a baseball. In baseball, they'll put the hat on inside out. And it's like a thing you do for good luck. I think baseball, they do a bunch of weird stuff for good luck. I've seen like YouTube compilations of it. Um, Same with like hockey. Hockey players won't shave their face. 
until they lose or something, or like they won't wash their jerseys until they lose. I don't know. Yeah. Don't and know. then they tell us astrology is fake. I, that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I cannot with these people. Um, um, from, are you finished with that puzzle? No. Okay, go ahead. I have one from this puzzle I want to talk about. Okay, because I have two shites. Oh, actually, okay. Shockingly. Um, 33 down, softy. And the answer is pussycat. I didn't like this either. That, I just don't like that. I don't know. I don't like is, it, is that a softy? I don't know. A pussycat to like me sounds, it's kind of like, like minxy. Yeah, yeah. Minx, yeah. And then 38 down, sent to the canvas. It's KO'd. Which I hate how it's spelled. see a lot, but they, they like actually spelled it out. K-A-Y-O-E-D. Which normally yep. we just see K-O-D. Yes. So that threw me off. I agree. And we did not like that one. Weird to see it spelled out like that. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, the one that I have from this puzzle is 47 across. Thousand Island dressing ingredient for short. And the answer was mayo. And so then Matt and I were like, what even is Thousand Island dressing made out of? And because I like, I haven't done a food topic in a long time, mm-hmm. um, but I figured that's there's not enough here for me to do a full topic, so I just wanted to do like a very short informational for anybody who's interested in Thousand Island dressing because I thought this was actually kind of interesting. So first of all, Thousand Island dressing is the base's may- mayonnaise, mayo, as the clue suggests, but it can also include olive oil, lemon juice, orange juice, paprika, Worcestershire sauce, mustard vinegar uh cream chili sauce tomato puree uh ketchup and tabasco sauce uh you might also find it with like little chunks of pickles onions bell peppers green olives hard-boiled egg parsley pimento chives garlic or nuts like walnuts um and i was like well where the hell does this come from why is it called thousand island dressing well apparently there's an area between the u.s and canada called thousand islands Mm -hmm. and it's like right on the king charles river and it's said to have been said to have originated there and, like, people who vacationed there, like, rich people that vacationed there brought back with them to, like, New York and Boston. And then restaurants in those areas started to serve it. And I'm like, it's so interesting to me how food travels like that. Like, it was, you know, used from fishermen's wives would make them, like, salads with this dressing. And then, you know, mm-hmm. rich people came and stayed there and vacationed there, picked it up and brought it back to New York. And I'm like, hmm. Interesting. That's my mom's. Well, it was when I was little. She would always get that at ah. restaurants. I think the thing that I like Thousand Island dressing to a point, you know, on certain things. But when I saw that it might have orange juice in it, I was kind of like, wait a second. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, hold on a minute. <laughs> what else you got? Um, the ne- February 14th New Yorker by Cameron Austin Collins had a couple mm. that I liked. Mm. Four Down Acrobat Launcher was Adobe. That was good. 17 Across Mythical Diamond Overlords. <laughs> was the baseball gods it was that that was a nice completely across answer yes fun it reminded me of legs diamond yes <laughs> which you'd have to listen to some of our earlier episodes to be in on that joke folks okay um 18 down new crowns force them to vacate their positions baby teeth mm-hmm. very nice another all the way across clue or answer was 43 across scuttlebutt word on the street mm. mm-hmm um that's all i got for that one from that puzzle i also liked 48 across head branch question mark the answer was antler oh right yeah very cool and then i loved this one eight down rock rock style with a czech sound to it question mark czech like czech republic Mm -hmm. 
And the answer was Prague, P-R-O-G, not Prague, like the capital of Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't know what like Prague rock is, it's like, it's short for progressive rock. I didn't uh, know, but now I do. And some progressive rock bands that you probably are familiar with, it's like Pink Floyd, Jethro Tull, Rush, mm-hmm. and they're known for essentially like being really experimental and quote progressive with the musicality of their work um that's that's all i got for prog rock but i just i was like oh this is cute prog rock check pro anyway that's all i got that's all the hits and all the shits that i got we actually had some shits today we haven't had shits we in did. a long time i know well i, <laughs> I don't like to you know we try not to hypercritical of yeah people and our shits are just like you know no question. Serious. So <laughs> yeah, no. We, seriously. If you're listening to this and we say one of the things is the shit, don't worry about it. Shall we flip the coin? Let's flip the coin before I continue. Okay. Let's see. I'm flipping the coin now. <gasps> it's tails. Me, little me, little old Grace. My topic comes from the February 14th New Yorker by Cameron Austin Collins, and it is Seven Down Erstwhile Suburban Hotspots. What? Is that your topic? It's my topic. (gasps) (laughs) Okay, I spent most of today telling Matt, I think Grace probably is going to do this topic. I think Grace is probably going to do this topic. And then he finally texted you. I think, Uh to ask you what the topic was. But he is so poker-faced and so straight. I was like, did she tell you? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, what is it? He's like, I don't know. And he, like, you could never be able to tell. Well, I... (laughs) I wonder if we read the same articles. I'm guessing. Did you read the Atlantic article? Of course I read the Atlantic article. All right, all right. All right, give us some seconds. This is going to be a kind of a hot mess, I think. But we'll... We'll get back to you. Yeah. All right. We're back, folks, after a couple minutes of trying to talk about how we're going to do this. So it's always tricky when we do the same topic, if only because for a topic like this, all of the sources that we found, we both found, we both used are so good. Like, how could you not use them and how could Mm -hmm. you not find them? You know, Um, but luckily for you listeners, Grace and I, even though we're doing the same topic, have different interests within those topics. So. We'll hopefully have a nice, well-rounded. You'll n- learn more about malls than you ever than cared you ever to know, thought. whether you like it or not. <laughs> Should we just name some of the articles off the bat? Yes, let's do it. So most of my stuff comes from the an article in the Atlantic called "When Malls Save the Suburbs from Despair" by Ian Bogost, and the New Yorker article "The Terrazzo Jungle" by Malcolm Gladwell. And Chelsea also used those as well, but she Correct. used. I also ones. used uh, The State of the American Mall on New York Times by Shapna Mashawari. Uh, why the Death of Malls is More Than Shopping is, more, is About More Than Shopping on Time by Joseph Sanborn. Uh, and then The Rise and Fall of the American Mall on Business Insider by Josh Harmon and Exa Zim. I also got some information from... Dead Malls, A Comprehensive Guide to Abandoned Malls in 2021 on Killer Uberks. And then A Haunting Look Inside America's Creepiest Abandoned Malls, uh, where a Huffington Post photojournalist, Seth Lawless, documented some of the creepiest slash coolest, quote, dead malls in the country. Uh, So, yeah, that's where we're at. And we're going to we got it. We got a little outline going, but we're going to see how it goes. 
so do you want to start about talking about malls oh yes in general like we're gonna be focused mostly on shopping malls in the u.s because that's yes. what the clue was about yes mostly like your typical stereotype like archetyped american mall like when you sit and you like close rats. your eyes exactly and you think of a mall your hometown mall or the mall closest to where you grew up that's what we're talking about if you're from america of course mm-hmm. um so just to give us like a little bit of an opener shopping centers so places where you could shop have been around for literally like all of time you know You've got agoras in ancient Greece, bazaars in the Middle East, like shopping centers and markets, like literally throughout all of like, not all of human history, you know, obviously not like (laughs) cavemen, but you get, you guys get what I'm saying. I got it. I got it. So the first ever like covered shopping center, like in history is a place in Paris called Passage du Clair or Care. Uh, and it was established in 1798. And essentially it was just a market outside and it had a covering, um, which you might be like, oh, don't they all have covers? Not necessarily. Like they could be just be stalls or tents on the side of the road, etc. Um, So the first like legitimately established covered market was in Paris in 1798. Um, and then the first shopping arcade built in the United States was in Providence, Rhode Island in 1828, and it's called the Arcade. And so now I want to talk a little bit about some terms you may hear while Grace and I are discussing shopping malls, um, just because they can be used interchangeably and it's helpful to understand like what we're talking about. So a shopping mall is a term that's used predominantly in North America, and it applies to enclosed retail spaces. So all the shops are inside under a roof and there's walls all around it, okay? A shopping center, however, is usually an open-air retail complex. And I'm not talking like a farmer's market. I'm talking about like when you think of someone saying like, I'm going to go to the outlets and they you drive in and you park your car and they've got all these big kind of stores and you have to park your car and walk and go into the store and all the stores are outside. That's a shopping center, Um And then you might also hear the term shopping arcade and a shopping arcade is essentially covered on the top, but open on the sides. And the word arcade comes from the idea of like arches. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to go through these arches to get inside to where the shopping is. And you might see those in like New England or uh, there's some places in the South that have shopping arcades that still exist today, like in Charleston, for instance. Um, So, yeah, so those are some terms that you may hear us use throughout this you know, this topic, this journey. Yes. So there have always been places to shop. So why did shopping malls and shopping centers start popping up in the United States? Well, in the mid 20th century, with the rise of the suburb and automobile culture, um, a new style of shopping center, the outdoor shopping area was created away from downtown. So think about urban shopping, walking down a city street, walking down the mag mile or going into Saks on fifth Avenue people were no longer like living in the cities exactly. So they were moving out to the suburbs, but there was nowhere to shop in the suburbs. And so they started creating centers, outdoor shopping retail centers where people could still do their shopping without having to drive into the city or hop on the train to go into the city to do their shopping. So that's kind of what was going on. Um, But we have a very particular person to thank for taking this idea of like an outdoor shopping center and making it into something a little bit more familiar 
Mm-hmm. What was his name? His name? Victor Gruen. Okay. I'll take it from here. Well, she's going to take, take this it. one part. Yes. <laughs> um, and interestingly enough, because I was going to start saying that uh, when you think of a shopping mall, like we, or I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but I kind of have like a negative view of shopping malls. I'm like, it's very suburban, very mm. capitalistic. Like, it's just a place to spend money. Mm-hmm. But that's not, it's kind of reminded me of your topic on Monopoly because that's not how it started. Right. And Victor was like a staunch socialist and he's the yes. guy that designed the indoor shopping mall. But let's mm-hmm. learn more about him. So, okay. Um, he was an Austrian architect. He was short, stout, and very eccentric with a wild head of hair and bushy, spiky eyebrows. According to Profound Fortune, he was, quote, a torrential talker with eyes as bright as Micah and a mind as fast as Mercury. So I wish someone would describe me that way. Honestly. Um, but he grew up in a middle-class Jewish family, and he studied architecture at the Vienna Academy of Fine Arts, which a few years earlier had turned down a young Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Interestingly. Um, he also did theater on the side, so he was like a very creative guy. He escaped Austria in 1938 uh, when one of his theater friends dressed up as a Nazi stormtrooper and drove Gruen and his wife to Zurich. They eventually made it to New York with an architect's degree, $8, and no English. I loved that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so he got together with other German and Austrian refugees, and he formed the Refugee Artists Group. By 1939, the group was on Broadway playing 11 weeks at the Music Box. So he was kind of doing that for a while. But this whole story is so interesting like it really is it's yeah and the, this is this information comes from the malcolm gladwell profile of gruen on the new yorker the new yorker it was published in 2004 but the information is so good i learned so much about malls and so much about victor gruen i yeah we'll put it in the episode description it's it's really good Worth a read. Um, but one day he met up with an old friend from vienna named ludwig letterer who wanted to open a store on fifth avenue and Gruen, he was an architect, he agreed to design it, um, but it was revolutionary because he added, like, an arcade, but just, like, the entryway. So, like, an open entry that included glass cases, faux marble, green glass on the ceiling, and it was, like, a customer trap because at the time, most storefronts were, like, right up on the sidewalk. Um, but Gruen's design enticed customers to hang out, stay a while, come in, and, of course, buy things. And it became known as the Gruen Effect, and then a lot of people hired him to design their storefronts in New York. Yes, it's there's actually a really cool article that I found about the Gruen effect that show a lot of his, you know, famous storefronts and designs that he had throughout like this time period and it's like that classic mid-century look. It's just so cool to look at mm-hmm. what he did. Um but then like Chelsea said in the 1950s, the American middle class, they had a lot of money and they started spending it or they had more money than they ever had had before and they started spending it on housing and cars in the suburbs. Um, but the suburbs were missing something. something. So Ray Oldenburg, a sociologist, said the communities need three spaces. One space is the home, the second space is the workplace, and the third space is where people go to exchange ideas, form relationships, and create communities, i.e. places to just hang out and be. But that mm-hmm. didn't exist in suburbia because suburbia was built for cars and yes. homes and yes. to be isolated. Yes. Something about, I was talking about this a little bit with Matt, something that I've been feeling ever since starting to do this particular topic was really having an appreciation and by appreciation not like necessarily i appreciate this but you know uh, an understanding of the difference between urban and suburban life mm-hmm. and in a city you have so much more access to like a varied life 
mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mean that in like a positive or negative way, but like your life on the day to day in a city can be so astronomically different. Whereas like in the suburbs, it can be relatively the same. And I also feel like in the suburb that affords you more privilege to be individualistic. Whereas mm-hmm. in a city, it definitely is more, um, sometimes it feels more community-based. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in the suburb, like sometimes the houses are so far apart from each other. You just drive to and from work every day. You never see your neighbors. You don't, s- you shop at the same grocery store, but you don't know anybody that works there because the grocery store is 30 miles away from you and so on and so forth. And it feels, it can be a more isolating experience. And then it kind of fosters like more of an individualism, which mm-hmm. might be why malls were one of the reasons malls were so important, which Grace is about to get to, but just to say. Well, it also reminds me, there's this guy on TikTok who does videos basically walking around. He he like walks and rides his bike everywhere and he walks around suburbia and points out how like a lot of suburbs are built just for cars Mm -hmm. and how sidewalks will just end in the middle of nowhere or it would be like impossible for someone to, you know, like walk to a bus stop Mm -hmm. from, you know, another popular place and how it's just it's basically just made for cars and how that can be depressing and isolating. Yes. Um, if you've ever felt that way, like if you, you know, I think a lot of times happens with kids growing up in suburbs, mm-hmm. you feel kind of like lost and isolated. Yeah. And there's like lack of accessibility, really, mm-hmm. when you get right down to it. When it's when it's, a place is just built for cars. You uh, can't drive. If you can't drive. To drive. Or if you can't walk. Yeah. Um, okay. But... Enter Gruen again. So he had been successful designing storefronts in New York, and in 1954, he designed the first outdoor suburban shopping plaza near Detroit. But two years later, in 1956, he designed the Southdale Center in Adena, Minnesota. So Southdale was like, unlike anything ever built before, while most mall type things had outdoor facing stores, Southdale was enclosed with storefronts on the inside. It had AC for the summer, heat for the winter. It had two big department stores at either end. And in order to keep it easily walkable, it had multi-stories connected by escalators. There were fountains, art installations, and a huge courtyard. And people loved it. Mm-hmm. Walt Disney even said that Gruen was his main influence for Epcot, which we talked about in another episode, mm-hmm. where he kind of wanted to create this, like, you know, community in a bubble that had everything. Mm-hmm. And Southdale is still open today, although it doesn't look like a historical building because it was so modern for its time. And it basically served as a prototype for every indoor mall built since. So it looks just like every indoor mall, but it was the first original. Pictures of the original Southdale Mall are freaking cool. I can't wait to share them. Yeah. Um, Four years later, there were over 4,500 large shopping complexes in the U.S., which averaged to three new shopping centers opening every day. That's insane. Um, and Gruid was very proud of what he had built. So he wanted yeah. to bring the pedestrian experience of European cities to the U.S. He thought that by careful organization, he could fix suburbia, whose roads, he said, were, quote, avenues of horror flanked by the greatest collection of vulgarity ever collected by mankind. Billboards, motels, gas stations, shanties, car lots, miscellaneous industrial equipment, hot dog stands, wayside stores. I didn't know this, but in the middle of the 1800s, Vienna had demolished and rebuilt its city to better serve the community. Um, it did a lot of different things. I'm not going to go too far into it. But one of these additions included the Ringstrasse, which was a grand mall that was built around the city with wide sidewalks and expansive urban views. And that greatly influenced Gruen's vision. So here's yes. a quote from the Atlantic article. 
Quote, by creating places for community in the deserts of suburbia, he hoped to lure people from their cars and into contact with one another. The malls would be for shopping, yes, but also offer food, relaxation, and green space. He originally wanted malls to have residential and community spaces like medical offices and libraries. And you can see why that influenced Disney. Yes. You know, you can see like Epcot a little bit in there as well. And the idea this, of Epcot. Yeah. This idea is similar to now the new urbanist movement, which that guy on TikTok is kind of all about, but it's pushing for more walkable, mixed use, denser developments in cities and towns. Yes. So that people do have a space where they're not going to get hit by a car and they're able to be with the community and, you know, not just not just shopping, like not just going to, you know, Macy's and the Apple store, but have, right. you know, community shops, different ser- services. Exactly. I, I, and that's like kind of like the basis of socialism, honestly, mm-hmm. which you can see how Gruen is influenced by that, like the idea of like forming community. Um, so... You know, you you can see all this stuff woven in to the intention behind the design. Um, another quote that I liked from the Atlantic article um, was this quote: "The mall is for shopping." It sounds idiotic to say, um, "Of course, the mall is for shopping," but more specifically, it gives shopping a specific place. The mall separated commerce into its own private layer, and it did so just as can. Commercialism was running rampant and out of control in the progress-fueled mid-century. Um, which leads me to the question, like, we have to understand why malls were so important and so successful for so long. You know, like, he builds the first mall in 56, and then you said by 60, we had over 4,500, like, malls. shopping complexes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. By 1975, malls and shopping centers accounted for 33% of all retail sales in America. That's insane. Um, And then in 1986, Consumer Reports named the shopping mall alongside birth control, antibiotics, and the personal computer one of the top 50 wonders that revolutionized the lives of consumers. In the six decades since the first enclosed shopping mall was built in 56, up to 1,500 enclosed malls were erected across the country. And Malcolm Gladwell says in his New Yorker article, quote, Victor Gruen may well, be, may well have been the most influential architect of the 20th century, end quote. I believe it. Did you hang out at malls a lot growing up? Yes. That so, was like so the only we, thing to do. Well, it was like one of the places where we could, I could go when I was like in eighth grade with mm-hmm. my friends without my parents and just mm-hmm. like hang out for the night and we wouldn't even like sometimes we'd go to the movies but mostly we would just walk around the mall see our friend like if other people were there go into like hot topic and not buy anything just like look of around eat in the food court if you could get money from your parents yeah. you know or just go get the um free samples at the food court exactly and you'd also be able to meet people from different schools that was a big thing mm-hmm. for me too like i went you know i lived in a suburbia small town um you I went to the school with the same people my entire life. And then you go to the mall and it's in a different town, one town over. So now you get to like hang out and like meet people from different towns. And, you know, I loved that aspect of it. And the mall is also where like I discovered like more punk culture mm-hmm. and punk fashion. So like I went and I was like, I was really into like rock and I would wear like my the killer's t-shirt, but I was like such a nerd. It was like 
the killer's t-shirt with like jeans on and then i saw people that had like green dyed hair and like homemade mm-hmm. like skinny jeans and that they sewed with like floss and their hair was spiked and i was like oh, a whole new world opened in front of me at the mall yeah and we had different we had like the mall close by me was like the smaller one that you went to in, in middle school but then the cooler mall was like a little further away and then that was where like the older kids go and it, it was bigger and it had more stuff mm-hmm. yes i the mall that i went to is like you know maybe like a five minute drive from my house but like for special occasions like i remember going to a bigger mall 45 minutes away for a friend's birthday Mm-hmm. like because that was like we're gonna go to the other mall for my birthday yeah. you know like what or like on a friday night you just go to the mall and you hang out um i wonder though are teenagers not doing that now no i don't I mean think obviously covid like even before covid though i mean it's things are changing do we want to talk a little bit about why malls were so popular you know mid-century until the mid-aughts sure um well you want to talk about why it's popular for the community and i'll talk about why so many got built and how that was may have potentially been the downfall yes do you want to where should we start first i I guess i'll start and then we'll talk about how many were actually built okay so we're talking about and understanding why malls were successful and important pieces of like community in suburbia um there's a lot that goes into it but the point but to the point of like rapid commercialism and rapid consumerism the new middle class post-world war ii had money and needed somewhere to spend it we've already talked about this they also needed somewhere that had the goods to buy okay so typically you would live in a city and you'd buy your goods at the department store in the city but now you're moving out to the suburbs and you've got like a mom and pop store you got a diner you got a gas station and like obviously there's more there but like if you're looking for furniture or you know dresses that are more than your handmade dresses like where could you buy those things well you would get those things at the shopping mall now so america as we all know is massive uh and that made distribution and access to goods difficult during the time when production and consumer spending was increasing rapidly and in tandem with one another so malls had every single shop you could imagine and they had department stores which you only used to have in cities so malls and their stores offered local access to national and sometimes international products and trends that might have otherwise been unavailable to like your average middle american or like suburban american the atlantic says quote It may seem odious to call consumerism a kind of cosmopolitanism, but like it or not, after the middle class rose from the soot of industrialism, the spread of ideas became attached to goods. Um, And then um, his name is Ian Bogost, who is the author of the Atlantic article. He goes on to share an example of a friend that he had um, who bought his first copy of a, um, a Heidegger novel, uh, Being in Time, in an Iowa mall in a Walden bookstore with money from a summer job. And then this friend goes on to become a philosopher. And like the first time that this friend came in contact with philosophy was because he bought it at a book at a mall in a Walden, Walden bookstore. bookstore. I remember. Um, and we all have experiences like that. Like I just talked about how like I was introduced to like punk culture at my mall. Like, I'm not, obviously, I'm not in, like, the punk subculture right now, but punk music was extremely formative to me and, uh, you know, changed a lot of things in my life. And I think, would I have known about these things if I hadn't gone and seen kids with, like, studded belts and, like, mohawks and gauged ears and all this stuff? Like, who knows? 
maybe my mall experience is a little different um <laughs> i saw those kind of, i went to like a really big public school so i saw mm. those things there but we would go to like tgi fridays and pretend it was our birthday to get free cake oh yeah Isn't that that's horrible we would do that like every week i mean the kids there probably didn't care that, that were working the waiters they weren't that, i guess yeah you're right what what's they were, it to them it's they were like i don't care i just give them what they can <laughs> yeah um so in addition to that we have to factor in the difference between urban and suburban life i kind of talked about this a little bit but in the 80s and 90s malls weren't just for shopping they were a place of community and society so 80s and 90s were, quote, the heyday of the mall as a culture symbol uh, and a commercial powerhouse. In those days, malls going, mall going really did offer some of the social benefits Gruen had imagined. The American suburbs lacked a density of daily encounters that characterizes the modernist cities of Europe, and the mall provided a space where people could amble in thick proximity, end mm-hmm. quote. And people like new moms who are on maternity leave or old people would go they still do that like do laps around malls yeah it's like a place to meet up and be like indoor and be able to you know have interesting things to look at exactly okay i'm going to talk about a little like the more bad side of the mall expansion and why it blew up so much so in the 50s after um Gruen had, you know, designed his mall, the U.S. passed a new depreciation law that basically said you can set aside some of your income tax-free to pay for the upkeep of your assets. And a building, like a gigantic building where a mall is, is a huge asset and costs a lot to upkeep. So without getting too many details, you basically made a ton of non-taxable return on capital from the depreciation of your building. So people just started building malls everywhere as like a quick way to get money. They would Investors would put up big buildings, take out as much money from them as they can, sell them four or five years later at a huge profit, and then build an even bigger building, make a bigger depreciation allowance, etc. But at this time, the malls then weren't being used to serve communities. They were just used to make rich people richer. Rich. They were mm-hmm. going up wherever there was land. It didn't follow any logic. For example, between 1950 and 1970, the Scranton area shrunk by 73,000 people, but gained 31 shopping centers. Bonks. Absolutely yeah. bonkers. And then, uh, oh, well, like Gruen intended Southdale, his first mall, to be a dense, self-contained downtown for the area. But then 15 minutes away, the largest mall in the U.S., the Mall of America, opened up. <laughs> so. Yeah. Didn't really work. And then, do you want to talk about, like, the big, you know, how that kind of led to, like, Walmart and, were you talking, going to talk about that? I was not going to talk about that, really. Well, okay, well, this, this, like, growth of malls kind of led to standalone retailers like Walmart and Target and then, like, um, strip malls, which had three or four big stores like Staples, Barnes & Noble's, Best Buy. They started popping up everywhere. Mm -hmm. And there were so many of them. So much shopping, so much retail, um, all thanks to the invention of the mall, but mostly thanks to the U.S. government for essentially creating some really great tax breaks for developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like kind of deflated and defeated the purpose like Gruen had for the like for the American mall or the vision he had for what a mall could do for a community not to say that like malls still didn't you know offer some form of community and society but when you have people just like land grabbing and like just building things willy nilly with literally like you said no logic then it's kind of like the mar- it becomes oversaturated, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it just basically becomes about 
making money rather than making community. Yeah. Yeah. But agreed. It wasn't all against his vision. Like, especially in the 80s and 90s, shopping malls were a huge part of American culture. Yes, for sure. Um, so that basically leads me into if malls were so important and so popular um, and integral to suburban community, um, why did they stop getting built? Because they did stop getting built. Since 2006. Yes. No, no new malls. Been built. Which is bonkers to me. Anyway, so uh, I got... Go ahead. Wait, before we go into that, can I talk about Gruen and how he kind of feels, like, wrap up with Gruen and how he felt about his Frankenstein, yes. basically? Yes, 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 yes. So I'm going to... Uh, this is a quote from the New Yorker article about the many European um, immigrants that came to America during World War II slash refugees. Quote, they had fled a place of chaos and anxiety and in american consumer culture they saw a bulwark against the madness across the ocean they wanted to find in the jumble of american marketplace something as grand as the vienna they had lost the place where the unconscious was meticulously dissected by dr freud who also came to the u.s at the same time as uh, gruen and where shrines to european civilization to the gothic the baroque the renaissance and the ancient greek traditions were erected on the ringstrasse but it was in the end too good to be true this wasn't the way america worked at all so Gruen ended up hating what became of malls. He said that malls had been ruined by developers who only wanted profit, that they had been disfigured by, quote, the ugliness and discomfort of the land-wasting seas of parking. And he eventually returned to Vienna, where he fixed up a country house outside the city. But lo and behold, just south of the city was a new gigantic shopping mall. It was putting local shopkeepers out of business and ruining everything the city had been redesigned to create. The New Yorker says, quote, he was devastated. Victor Gruen invented the shopping mall in order to make America more like Vienna, and he ended up making Vienna more like America, which makes me sad. It does make me sad, too. Um, just to reiterate again, please read that Malcolm Gladwell article yeah. in The New Yorker, because there's a lot in there, too, that we're not going to I'm not going to talk about it. And I don't think Grace is going to talk about it either. But Gruen invented the mall. But there's a man that came after Gruen who mm -hmm. essentially like quote perfected the mall and to get they get into the psychology of why certain things are chosen for the design of a mall down from the lighting to the skylights to the tile on the floor to whether or not the the banisters on the second floor should have see-through handles or not like things that i never thought about and now i feel like i feel like a fucking mall expert after reading that goddamn article so lots in there um uh check it out but let's talk about why malls stopped getting built. I got a lot of this information in particular from the Times article titled Why the Death of Malls is About More Than Shopping by Josh Sanborn. Uh, and this was published in 2017, so some of the numbers may be a little bit outdated. But nevertheless, Sanborn says that the decline of the mall began in the mid-2000s, so like around 2006. This coincided with the rise of online shopping and the recession of 2008 all leading to the drop of both in-person sales and foot traffic at malls, therefore also declining in-person shopping and foot traffic at retailers like JCPenney's and Macy's, which were the anchors of many U.S. malls. So we may or may not have mentioned it to this point because, you know, we're trying our best here to, like, combine our topics Mesh. and our research uh, live on air. But one of the main aspects of the Gruen design and like shopping centers and shopping malls in general is that like the shopping mall has what they call anchors. So these anchors are big box retailers or big box department stores. And those are the, the basically the retailers that sit on either end of the mall. And then all of the tiny retailers kind of fill in the space in between. 
And those anchors are the what essentially like financially keep the mall quote alive mm -hmm. um, and pay the big bucks to the owners of the mall to like the rent essentially. And so that means like in the early 2000s when foot traffic at malls was going down and therefore foot traffic and sales was going down at like the department stores that anchored the malls, like what does that mean for malls? Here's a fun stat. Between 2010 and 2013, mall visits during the holiday season, the busiest shopping time of the year, dropped by 50%. So, like, people were not going to malls anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, this is called the, quote, great mall die-off. It's also referred to as market correction by economists. So market correction, as far as I understand, breaks down into, breaks down to, like, the American populace being way over-retailed and the market therefore needing to correct itself. So what do I mean by over-retail? Grace was already talking about how many malls are getting built, like illogically, like seemingly with no purpose, other than to like make their owners money. Um, but here's some fun stats. Uh, there is an estimated, as of 2017, 26 square foot of retail for every person in the United States. This is compared to 2.5 square feet per capita in Europe. Wow. Roughly 60% of Macy's stores slated to close with, are within 10 miles of another Macy's store as of 2017. Mm -hmm. For what? And then, of course, there's the reality that many Americans no longer see the need to go to any Macy's store at all, regardless of how close or how many there are within a 10-mile radius. A uh, quote from that, near, uh, from that Times article, quote, our daily lives are frictionless and ruthlessly efficient with retail and romance available at a click. Malls are designed for leisure, abundance, ambling. You parked and plan to spend some time there. Today, much of that time has been given over to busier lives and second jobs and apps that let you swipe right instead of haunt the food court. Malls, said Harvard uh, business professor Leonard Schleisinger, were, quote, built for patterns of social interaction that increasingly don't exist. And I feel like that holds up to a point. Um, I feel like consumerism on a whole has kind of shifted into something a little bit different. It's not just about the ease of like online shopping. I feel like especially with like the rise of Instagram and like TikTok and like influencer marketing, we're seeing like kind of a shift into like luxury purchasing or like small we're kind of shifting back to like small business appreciation i know mm -hmm. that yes i well, still shop in at our bubble though true i mean like i sh i still obviously shop at target and i shop at amazon sometimes like mm -hmm. it is what it is but like i also find that shopping for me isn't just about the ease of shopping i and yes i also think that it comes down to like the privilege of living in a city mm -hmm. um when we you know we don't have to we we're able to like pick between any one of five specialty cafes rather than like going to a mall and like buying Annie Ann's yeah. pretzels. Um, so, but yeah. But I do feel like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I used to love going shopping. Now right. I, I almost never do. Like, I feel like there's a time where that was like the only thing to do on the weekend. And I feel mm -hmm. like sometimes in certain like suburbs that it's just like enticing you to come spend money. Right. Which, it's like, yes, it is good to get out there and interact with people and not necessarily do everything online. Of course, Amazon is like horrible for the environment and it's better to like shop locally if you can. But if you go to a mall and it's all chain stores anyway. I found that like, I also don't 
like shopping in person. If I'm going to shop in person, I want it to be for the experience of it. Yeah. You could not I, I twist like, like, my arm. Shopping exactly. You could not twist my arm to go into like an H&M. Anyway, yeah. Whereas like going into an H&M when I was in college was like the fun thing to do. Yeah. I, I could never do that is, anymore. Is that society changing or is that just us? Like, is that just a... I, but like, I think about like... Up? I don't know. The idea of like going thrifting is engaging to me. Mm-hmm. What's not engaging is going to the mall for Annie Anne's, right? Yeah. But I would plan like a cafe date with a friend or a boba tea date with a friend or a ramen mm-hmm. date with a friend. Like, but that's about like the experience of going to this specialty thing that's like cr- feels like crafted and you know intentional. Whereas I feel like sometimes malls yeah. don't and have that, is that our, intention of craftsmanship. That is our privilege of where we live. Yes. Anyway. 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 Okay. So. Another interesting statistic uh, from the Times article uh, talks about the, quote, local jobs casualty connected to the death of malls. Uh, This is referred to by analysts as retail apocalypse. Remember that this article is from 2017. Nevertheless, the numbers are interesting. Quote, since 2002, department stores have lost 448,000 jobs, a 25 percent decline, while the number of store closures this year is on uh, a pace to surpass the worst depths of the Great Recession. The growth of online retailers, meanwhile, have failed to offset those losses, with the e-commerce sector adding just 178,000 jobs over the past 15 years. Some of those jobs can be found in like the massive distribution centers Amazon has opened across the country, often not too far from malls uh, the company helped to shutter, end quote. So like, because of online shopping, tons of people are losing their jobs, but there is no job growth also mm-hmm. or there's like not as much job growth for the job loss that we're mm-hmm. seeing from department stores which i thought was interesting um and that brings me to dead malls and a little bit i'm going to talk a little bit more about like h- how malls decline but feel free to break in at any point no no i think that's a good segue okay so in the state of Amer- of the american mall on new york times by shop uh, sapna Mashawari, we, we, we learned that of the 1,000 malls still around the United States, there are about 750 vacant anchor boxes. Uh, these are vast spaces that once housed like those big department store chains, Sears, Nordstrom's, Macy's. Also, many small tenants have clauses in their leases that allow them to pay reduced rent or even leave if two or more anchor stores depart from the mall, which can further exacerbate a mall's vacancy issues. So if a mall loses their... their um, their anchor stores in the leases that the smaller uh you know retailers have if the mm-hmm. anchor stores leave they either pay reduced rent or they can also leave so like the mall is basically like completely screwed if they lose the, the major retailers mm-hmm. which is crazy which they are because macy's are. like closed down all of its stores i think exactly. almost all i also just saw in my email the other day uh that payless is filing for bankruptcy or closing everything and it's like Payless is like a staple for every single mall that I ever went to in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, okay, the recession of 2008 hit retailers hard with more than 400 bankruptcies at a mall at mall mainstays like Sharper Image, Linens and Things, Stephen Barry's, and KB Toys, leaving even more vacancies. Um, and then you talked about these big box stores like Walmart and Target and Best Buy kind of siphoning off customers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, And any of these vacancies, especially the big box department stores, are hard to fill normally, but especially so during the pandemic. 
Uh, economists believe that the coronavirus-related shutdowns are accelerating the existing trends of favoring online shopping. Um, and customers are turning more to like retail giants like Amazon, as well as smaller e-commerce stores for groceries, cleaning, and personal hygiene products. Um, and it's led economists to predict that the next three to five years, as many as one quarter of the 1,000 malls in the United States could close forever, adding hundreds to the list of the already dead malls uh, across the countries. Um, across the countries. Um, and then I have some interesting facts about how people are repurposing malls. Um, but I didn't know if you wanted to talk about those, but I can talk a little bit more about dead malls before we get into that. I think talk about more about dead malls. Okay. So do you know what a dead mall is other than like a mall that has gone out of business? Yeah. An empty mall. Essentially an empty mall, but not just an empty mall. Like it's just sitting there. And a dead mall is an internet sensation right mm -hmm. now. Um, so a dead mall can also be called a ghost mall, a zombie mall, or an abandoned mall. Um, and there is a ravenous community that online that is obsessed with the imagery and the aesthetic of a dead mall. Um, I've watched the YouTube videos of people like going into them. Yes, and exploring. And just, and then sometimes there's like there's people living in there. Yep. Mm -hmm, for sure. You can go online and just type dead malls and there's like um archives or like comprehensive lists of all the dead malls in america that you can like go and visit i went on one of these lists and i found like, a mall that i went to as a kid is was shuttered in like 2014 and it's now considered a dead mall and i was like oh shit, is there one close crazy. by can we go Road yes I, well there's one in illinois for sure i'm not sure how mm -hmm. close because you know illinois is pretty big but we Could should be go. hours away i know we'll break in we'll bring a camera it'll be a lot of fun um okay so dead malls quote stand frozen in time as nostalgic monuments to their formative years. Millions of now middle-aged Americans spent evenings and weekends strolling the mall's vast corridors with their friends, stopping at Cinnabon for a sweet treat, and scoping out the latest styles at Gap or Abercrombie & Fitch. For younger generations, these dead malls may simply be vast abandoned suburban playgrounds to explore and photograph. Um, if you're interested in learning more about dead malls, I'll include a link into the episode description. Um, I found a comprehensive guide to abandoned malls in 2021. I'll include that. And then I'll also include the uh, photo series from the Huffington Post photojournalist, Seth Lawless, uh, a haunting look into inside America's creepiest abandoned malls. The photos are so cool. We did a great job. Um, and that's basically all I have for dead malls. But from the videos I've seen on TikTok or YouTube, like it's really eerie to like look at this thing that was so important to my childhood and mm -hmm. they're just like dilapidated and it's like kind of like very ghostly and eerie and but there's like an aesthetic to it of like crumbling and decaying suburbia like yeah. mannequins just left on the floor and like grates from stores pulled down and dead plants and caution tape and broken Fountains with no water exactly um well I think the Atlantic article did a good job talking about, like, um, the good things about malls compared mm. to, like, even though it is very, you know, consumerism driven, mm -hmm. it's at least more contained versus now it's like you could literally buy anything off your phone, like with the click and you don't even have to go to a different store, you know, uh, but in a mall, it's like you're there, it's around you, like you have to go to different stores for different things, but then you leave. And it's not, yeah. you're not shopping anymore. Now it's like you're constantly 
you know, you, it's easy to buy stuff. And you're also like very specifically being advertised things that you should yeah. buy. Mm-hmm. So it's like I saw malls as this like super capitalistic, consumerist, suburban thing. But it almost like that's before doing this this topic. And now I'm like, well, I feel like what what's going on now is a little more insidious as far as like being, you know, even though now you are able to be connected with smaller businesses worldwide but yeah but no you don't have that like community and that like intentional but i also think malls also allow for a lot of like shopping just to shop yes that's true you know like that's the activity not like intentionally like i need this it's it's complicated i think you're right though like the atlantic article uses the the comparison of like a um a casino like a casino is this contained thing within four walls. You go in, you gamble, and then you leave. Obviously, there's other ways to gamble outside of a casino, but, like, mm-hmm. you can understand what we're talking about. It's not like gambling is not this insidious thing that, like, you're doing constantly on your phone. Like, every single American is doing this constant thing on their phone. Mm-hmm. We are doing that now with shopping. Like, yeah. your phone is not just a phone. Your phone is a storefront. Instagram is transitioning to a storefront. I don't know if anybody else knows this, but that's a fact. That's their planning. Mm-hmm. Your wallet is on your phone. You know, like, you can buy things with your face, like, mm-hmm. just sitting on your couch. Every, like, they're listening to you. They're constantly sending you advertisements right on your Instagram feed, right on your TikTok feed. You can't yeah. escape it. Whereas, like, a mall is a place for shopping that, you know, I wouldn't be able to, you know, like, when I was in, when I was 13... I couldn't just be like, mom, I need new jeans. And she, with one click, buy me jeans off Amazon and it gets there the next day. You have to wait till the weekend and try them on and da 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 da. And it's like a whole thing. Mm -hmm. So were we we buying less and spending less when there were malls than we are now? I don't know. I feel like I shop shop less now, but maybe that's not necessarily true. Right. Who knows? We don't know. These are just raising questions. This is just us talking. I mean, this is just us bullshitting. But do you want to talk about? (laughs) repurposing yes malls i have an example so gruen's vision of like a mall being community center you know may still have a chance even though malls are closing down Mm -hmm. so in 2005 jose legaspi bought a dying mall and he turned it into plaza fiesta which is designed it was designed specifically to meet the needs of the growing hispanic population outside of atlanta he said quote the extended family concept is very very key to the culture of the hispanic community there's not a place where the families could gather and shopping doesn't just mean shoes and clothing or eating at a restaurant it's also a place where they can listen to music sit down relax and spend some time with the family so plaza fiesta has 280 stores but it also has doctor's offices a dentist hairdressers money wiring services everything you might find in a mexican village and there's live music on Sundays. There's a bus station that brings customers in. Um, and it was working. I mean, as of 2005, the mall had more than 4 million visitors in the last year. So it was serving that community. Mm-hmm. And like I, I found in my research that economists are hopeful that malls can be revitalized. But there's a very specific way to approach the revitalization of malls. And it's to kind of honestly to bring it back to the original Gruen concept of like making it more about a community center. But also it's not just about making it like a community center, but it's also like elevating the concept. So it's not like just your chain Mm -hmm. um, 
stores. It's more bringing more local or like more independent sellers in, um, having higher end food options or like uh, more unique food options, you know, like malls in our day had like a McDonald's, a Salad Works and a Cinnabon. Yeah. And now Johnny like, Rockets. Right. The malls that are working now have like sushi and burritos and crepes and, mm-hmm. you know, like a cupcake ven- vending machine, like things like that that make the experience at the mall an experience. It's not just about mm-hmm. shopping. You're seeing malls, the successful malls nowadays also have like um, light shows, concerts, uh, go karts go-karting, rope courses, bowling alleys, like all types of stuff are happening at malls rather than just shopping. And their stores obviously interspersed, but you want it to be a place where people can go to hang out. And people aren't just going to hang out to shop anymore because you can shop from your couch. Why would you go to a store to to shop when you can do it right from your couch? So to get people at the mall to shop, you have to have other things there. And those are the malls that are successful. And if if I'm remembering correctly, it's like there's like 150 malls right now in the United States that are doing that. And everybody else is like, not. Because it costs a lot of money to renovate a mall. Yeah. Well, I know in Memphis, where my parents live, there's a, well, it wasn't a mall. It was a Sears distribution center. And it was like completely run down, graffitied, dilapidated. They rebuilt it, put a lot of money into it. But now it's like a community space. There's, it's huge. There's apartments there, there's a high school there, there's cooking classes, like community outreach, and then mm-hmm. there, it's filled with like local restaurants and local stores. There's only local businesses there selling stuff. And right. there's like a brewery and an outdoor space where they have farmer's markets. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a great community area. Now people can go. And I think if you live someplace where you have to drive everywhere, the idea that you could park your car and like walk around, you know, one area is so human. It is. And you know, that's, I to, think to that's what I that meant. Experience. I think that's what I meant earlier, too. Like the experience that we have as consumers now is not just about the act of shopping. Mm-hmm. Like when we were in high school or, you know, middle school and like we would go to the mall, we didn't obviously have money to shop necessarily, yeah. but like people went to the mall to shop and to buy their goods and then they left. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like it's more, like I said, back to that. Um, the original concept of community like mm-hmm. yeah we'll go to shop and support local artisans support local businesses try the brewery meet friends see the local i don't know go to the dead band play exactly yeah um i also saw that dead malls are or dead super box stores or whatever are being turned into like vaccination sites for covid or office buildings or like i also saw, saw high schools were being put into dead malls as well um that would be cool. Could you imagine? That would, like, we if we were kids now, it'd be over for you idiots. It really would. God would never give us the chance. No. No. Um, this was, like, one of the more fun topics I've researched in a while. I it feel was. like I learned really interesting, so much. And I feel like it changed my views a lot on suburbia and malls in general. It makes me miss a mall. We should, I went to a mall maybe, like, five six years ago in illinois like one of the ones right out in the suburbs to like buy Mm -hmm. a bathing suit or something because i was like i don't i need to try it on i can't just buy this online which my mind has changed since then Mm -hmm. i went to like an old navy or something in a mall and it was like the worst experience of my life because i'm like oh my god i don't know who 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 comes to these places and like everything's closed except the old navy and i'm like i I gotta get out of here 
I get tired now. Like I can't, I can't shop for that long. I also saw, it's funny to say that I saw that in one of the articles, maybe it was the Atlantic. They talk about the recycled air that's inside the malls, the same air that the way that they funnel air in casinos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the person called it like mall head. Like you have like this, like kind of like, oh, I get tired after a while. We should Who go knows? to Mall of America if we want the tr- like the big mall experience. Oh, I, I found, hold on. Let me see if I have the statistic about the Mall of America. Hold on. Hold on. Hold the phone. I essentially found a statistic about how um, even one of the most popular malls in America, the one that is like doing it right, the Mall of America, the pandemic is like essentially, you know, they haven't been able to pay their rent for like two months or something because yeah. this, the, the mall is so big and, you know, foot traffic is so small now because of COVID and whatever and the change of consumerism that even the Mall of America is struggling. So Yeah, and they have like a whole, you know, amusement park in there. They got a chapel. You can get married there if you really wanted to. Don't tempt me. <laughs> um, well, I, I was going to end with this quote from The Atlantic. Not that this has to be the end, but... Please. No, no, no. End it. Um, quote, I can't help but think that the, um, the Americans' days of hating the mall are numbered when it gets replaced by Apple Town Squares, Walmart Supercenters, and the online-offline slurry of an ever-rising Amazon. We will miss these zoos of capitalism, these prisons of commerce, where consumerism roared and swelled, but inevitably remain contained. And that's that, folks. That's a mall. That is that. We should go to a mall. We should. I do like the idea, though, of, you know, the original version of it, where it's not oh, yeah. just about shopping and spending money at, like, big chain stores. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and I think that society needs that. You know? It's not normal to be so isolated from everyone. Right. I, I mean... mean not that it's not normal, but I think a lot of people could benefit from feeling variance. more part of a community. Yes. And also, like, variants of, like, where you're shopping. Mm-hmm. You know? Just because well, you can get everything on Amazon doesn't mean you should. Yeah. No, you definitely shouldn't. No. No, 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 no. Uh, anyway. Well, that's that, everyone. That's that on malls. And... What a lucky day for listeners who are with us today to experience a same topic. Double topic. Or a double same or topic. Same topic. Single topic. A single two, topic. Two girls, episode. one topic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed. Hope. I feel like we, we did pretty smooth. I think that was okay. Yeah. We I struggled mean. worse, I think. The first time we did it was like the apocalypse, the four horsemen. Four we horsemen, were, yeah. We were sweating. We were in the the we were in the voiceover booth by ourselves sitting next to each other sweating trying to figure out how to swap back and forth <laughs> like and trying to do it because bef- we used to record before work trying to do it before we had to before nine <laughs> before people started shuffling in for the day and you could hear them talking and like banging in the kitchen yeah those are the days crazy days wild um so yeah i guess i mean talk about being isolated now we don't even go into an office anymore Nope, I don't want to. It's okay. No, yeah, I don't want to do that either. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. But I feel like we see people all the time. Uh, yeah, I see you every Thursday. What else? I'm do walking I need? around this dang neighborhood every day, <laughs> running yeah, my I mean, little errands. <laughs> I walk. I walk from my front door to my back door. I got a dog. That's all I need. Um. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. As always, you can talk to us on Twitter at the Good Eve Girls or Instagram at the Good Evening Girls. We'll post some fun 
fun photos of dead malls and some Victor Gruen storefronts, potentially. Come on over. If you're lucky. Um, and, oh, we're on TikTok at The Good Eve Girls. Yes, yes, we are. Um, and until next time, make sure you keep curious out there. Write to us with any curiosities that you may or may not have. Let us know if you go to a mall. Yep. Let us know if you've never been to a mall. And that's it. Yeah, those are only two things we want to talk about. So, yep, yep. yep. um, (laughs) I guess we'll see you all next week. Yep. Uh, Same place, same time. Bye. Bye.